Kieran Review Print Speaking to the Blind, celebrating 40 years of audio newspaper production. Welcome to this week's edition of the Herald Scotland podcast, recorded at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre by our amazing volunteers. You can get in touch with us via Facebook, Twitter or Instagram using at Kieran Review, that is at symbol C-U-E-A-N-E-R-E-V-I-E-W. You can also contact us directly by emailing information at tunereview.com. That is I-N-F-O-R-M-A-T-I-O-N at symbol C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W dot C-O-M or by calling 0141 772 That's 0141 772 from the Herald Scotland, Wednesday the 9th of August 2023, in the news section, Drug Death Spike, a Synthetic Opioid Detected in Scotland, article by Gabriel Mackay, Synthetic opioids believed to be behind a spike in drug deaths have been detected in Scottish prisons, a leading academic has said. A crackdown by the Taliban in Afghanistan, the main grower of opium, has created a gap in the market which is filled by laboratory-created substances such as phenytyl. Synthetic opioids can be up to 50 times stronger than heroin and 100 times more potent than morphine, vastly increasing the risk of an overdose. They are also often cut into other drugs, such as cocaine, so users may be unaware of what they are taking. Harry Subnall, a professor in substance use at Liverpool John Muir University, said, the agencies have detected synthetic opioids in Scotland, including in Scottish prisons. They're already on the market, he said. There's a real concern that they could become much more prominent and this could have a devastating effect. Meg Jones, from the charity, drugs charity Cranston, said there have been spikes in a number of people dying from an overdose across the country because of synthetic opioids. She called the problem widespread and told BBC Radio Force Today programme the really important thing to say on this is it's not a localised issue that is happening in one particular area. We are seeing spikes in a number of areas across the country. We need to see now government action on how to deal with this. We already have a public health crisis in the UK. We already have the worst drug-related deaths in Europe. And what we need to see now is particularly movement in things like overdose prevention centres. They provide a safe space for people who use their drugs to be supported in the event that they do have an overdose. In November 2022, a study by the University of Glasgow found there had been 121 deaths in Scottish prisons since the start of 2020, with a rise in drug deaths. Over the period studied, there were 25 deaths involving drugs. Last month, information published by the Scottish Prison Service revealed nine prisoners had died in the previous nine weeks. Of the deaths, Three involved prisoners at the HMP Barlini, two involved prisoners at both HMP Shots and HMP Perth, one involved a prisoner at HMP Edinburgh, and one involved a prisoner at HMP Lomos. Two of the prisoners died while on remand, while one prisoner died at HMP Edinburgh, less than eight weeks after being convicted at Edinburgh Sheriff Court. In accordance with the Fatal Accidents and Sudden Deaths, Scotland Act, a fatal accident inquiry will take place into all of the deaths, but the process can take up to two years to complete. 
Almost all of the heroin consumed in Europe comes from Afghanistan and the Taliban has been cracking down on poppy farmers since it seized back control of the country. In April 2022, close to 50% of crops grown in Helmand province were poppies, while for April 2023, that figure was less than 1%. It takes a year to 18 months for the opium grown in Afghanistan to reach Europe as heroin, meaning the full effects may not be known until next year. The Taliban previously banned opium in 2000, which led to a shortage of heroin on the continent. That coincided with the first appearance of fentanyl and a spiking drug deaths, particularly in Estonia, where the synthetic opioid first appeared in 2003. In the preceding years, the average purity of confiscated heroin dropped from 58% in 2000 to 21% in 2001 and 7% in 2002. Until 2017, Estonia had the highest overdose death rate in Europe, with fentanyl involved in 70-80% of overdose deaths between 2010 and 2017, according to the Estonian Causes of Death Registry. After the institution of programmes such as naloxone distribution, needle programmes to reduce the risk of HIV, and disruption of supply leading to increased costs and lower purity, the mortality rate dropped from 130 deaths per million adults in 2017 to 43 deaths per million population aged 15 to 64 years in 2018. Naloxone is a medication used to reverse or reduce the effects of opioids and has also been used in the US to tackle its own fentanyl epidemic. Drug overdose deaths more than doubled between 2015 and 2021 with over 106,000 in the latter year. Of those, 70,601 were deaths involving synthetic opioids other than methadone, primarily phenethanol. And that article was by Gabriel Mackay. From the Herald Scotland, Wednesday the 9th of August 2023, from the news section, Glencoe climbers were roped together and laid by guide. Report by Jodie Harrison. Three people who died from falling in Glencoe are thought to have been roped together. It has been reported that the trio, two men and a woman, were an experienced instructor and his clients who were traversing the Anak Igach Ridge. Rescue crews were scrambled to the valley after being alerted on Saturday that the group had failed to return from their hike. The bodies of the climbers were later found. They have yet to be named. Mountaineer Alan O'Connor told the Scottish Sun, the guide was uber experienced, but I'm guessing they were roped up and someone slipped. The route has deteriorated in parts, making certain sections a lot trickier in wet weather. The ridge is popular with experienced hikers and climbers, and requires a good deal of scrambling, using hands as well as feet, to cross. Glenshee's ski patroller and polar guide William Smith added, It is most likely that given the location and the need for protection, they were roped together, but had either an insecure belay or an easier section were caught unaware when one of the party tumbled. Scottish mountains may not be high compared with the Alps, but they can be, they can be extremely dangerous. Police Scotland said, A search was carried out and the bodies of three people, two men and a woman, were found. HM Coast Guard as well as Glencoe and the RAF Mountain Rescue Teams assisted with the recovery operation. There do not appear to be any suspicious circumstances. And that report was by Jodie Harrison. From the Herald Scotland, 
Wednesday the 9th of August 2023 from the news section Nicola Sturgeon to release deeply personal and revealing memoir Story by Andrew Learmonth Nicola Sturgeon's revealing autobiographies is set to be released in 2025 after publisher Pan McMillan secured the rights in a nine-way bidding war It is not clear how much the firm paid for the former First Minister's as yet untitled memoir although speculation earlier this year suggested it would be for a six-figure sum. According to Industry Magazine, the bookseller, the publisher says the book will look at how the Glasgow Southside MSP went from being a shy child from a working-class family in Ayrshire to the steps of Butte House as Scotland's first female and longest-serving First Minister. They said it would also detail her interactions with a range of notable figures, giving her unique perspective on the most eventful and tumultuous era in modern Scottish and British politics. They add that Ms Sturgeon will cover all the important events and debates of her time, including the establishment of the Scottish Parliament, the SNP's election to government, the Scottish independence referendum, Brexit, Covid and much more. The result will be a deeply personal and revealing memoir from one of Britain's most significant political leaders of recent times, the publisher said. Ms Sturgeon promised she would be frank in the book. She said, I am thrilled to be working with Pan Macmillan, a globally renowned publisher and with proud Scottish roots. I have loved my life in politics, but ever since I was a child, I have harboured an ambition to write. Embarking on this book is therefore exciting, if also daunting. I aim to chronicle key events of the past three decades of Scottish and British politics and take the reader behind the scenes to describe how it felt to be in the room who else was there, the relationships involved and how decisions were arrived at. I will talk about what I am proud of and be frank about my regrets. I will reflect on the challenges of being a woman in politics and reveal more about the person behind the politician. I will also draw my 35 years of experience to offer some thoughts on the future of Scotland, the UK and democracy in general. There will be much interest in what the book says about Ms Sturgeon's time out of office. She resigns as First Minister on February the 15th after more than eight years in office. She admitted that she had become too divisive to advance independence or win greater support for the SNP. Six weeks later, her husband, Peter Morell, was arrested in connection with a police probe into SNP's funding. Detectives raided their home and their party's HQ and seized a £110,000 luxury motorhome from outside the house of Mr Morell's elderly mother. SNP Treasurer Colin Beattie was arrested on April the 18th, and Ms Sturgeon was arrested on June 11th. All three were released without charge after being questioned by detectives. Officers are investigating if the party misspent £660,000 raised specifically on Indiref 2, also seized was spent on other things. Mike Harpley, Pan's non-fiction publishing director, said As well as spending her career in frontline politics, Nicola is a lifelong avid reader, lover of literature and a keen supporter of bookshops and the wider book trade. As a result, it is no surprise that the extracts she had already written are notable for their wit, honesty and excellent writing. We are very much looking forward to working with her on this book. Responding to the news, Lib Dem MSP Willie Rennie said, As an avid bookworm, it was only a matter of time before Nicola Sturgeon penned her own. 
I'm sure she will have interesting things to say about leading the country through the Covid pandemic, her split from Alex Salmond and more. Given the ongoing ructions within the SNP, I imagine she's leaving the final chapter blank for now. And, with a rumoured six-figure advance, she can finally buy the motorhome she has always wanted. Scottish Conservative Chairman Craig Hoy said, Nicola Sturgeon's well-documented difficulties are sure to feel interest in her book, but unless she wants to, it filed under fiction, she needs to be upfront and honest about her huge feelings as First Minister and SNP leader. Her reputation has taken a huge hit in recent months, not just for the scandal engulfing her and her husband, but because of the fact that several of her key policies, such as the Deposit Return Scheme, the National Care Service, devastating fishing restrictions and the alcohol advertising ban, have unravelled. When you add in Nicola Sturgeon's appalling legacy in the education and drug deaths, and flicked in how she divided Scotland with her endless push for separation, she has a pretty grim story to tell. And that report is by Andrew Learman. This is from the Herald Scotland of Wednesday the 9th of August 2023 from the business section. The UK is to be a leader in pioneering high-value 3D printing. This article is by Brian Donnelly. An industry consortium is collaborating on a project to bring pioneering 3D printing to manufacturing across Scotland and the UK. It is claimed technology being developed by the group could revolutionise the use of additive manufacturing, 3D printing, bringing the advanced manufacturing of high-value components for key industries, such as aerospace and oil and gas, to the country for the first time. The EVO 1 Large Format Additive Manufacturing, LFAM, project which involves including the National Manufacturing Institute Scotland and Rolls-Royce, will see the development of a 3D printer system. It is claimed could make UK manufacturers more competitive than their international peers. EVO 1 also involves 3D printing experts, EVO 3D, NMIS, operated by the University of Strathclyde, and part of the high-value manufacturing catapult materials supplier Filamentive, software developer AI Build, and energy technology company Baker Hughes. The initiative has received £1.1 million in funding from Innovate UK. LFAM is a commercial 3D printing technique that creates large-volume polymer components used in a variety of industries, including aerospace, automotive, energy and marine. It is claimed the new product being developed through EVO 1 LFAM will address the challenges associated with current systems and cater to the specific needs of the UK market. The system's design team is aiming to make it 60% more reliable, achieve a 50% increase in productivity, reduce training and maintenance costs by 30%, and cut material waste by 80%, among a range of improvements. On the project's completion, Evo 3D will launch a spin-out business to commercialise the system, called Rapid Fusion, creating the UK's first original equipment manufacturer, 
in LFAM. It is claimed its development would also create the foundation on which a new supply chain can be built, reshore critical manufacturing capabilities, and help more UK manufacturers take advantage of the opportunities presented by Industry 4.0, the fourth industrial revolution. Stephen Fitzpatrick, Director, Digital Factory at NMIS, hailed the move. We have a huge opportunity in the UK to be a leader in large format additive manufacturing, said Mr Fitzpatrick. Putting the right technology in as many manufacturers' hands as we can is a great base to build on, and having a UK-based OEM is the first step in that direction. With the right tools at our disposal, we can encourage more manufacturers of all sizes to embrace the latest manufacturing techniques and technologies, paving the way for a more sustainable and globally competitive sector. Our team, with specialisms ranging from digital process management to forging and forming, is supporting businesses across Scotland and the UK to innovate and transform what they do. Jake Hand, Director of Marketing and Development at Exeter-based Evo 3D, said, The UK is behind other major economies when it comes to LFAM. What we are aiming to do through the development of this system is to democratise high-value, environmentally responsible manufacturing in the UK through a system that will bring the latest technology and capabilities to large and small businesses. We saw during the pandemic how easily supply chains can crumble. That's why it's potentially more important than it ever has been to develop as much capacity and capability in the UK as we can, not to mention the economic and carbon reduction opportunities associated with having a thriving manufacturing sector at the vanguard of the latest available green technologies. The NMSI team said it will support the project across a number of its specialisms, including material analysis, design and the additive manufacturing process. It will also look at the validation and verification of the system and high-value materials being used. Rolls-Royce and Baker Hughes will test the system once it is ready, while AI Build will help with the development of the slicing technology. Herald Scotland recorded on Friday 11th of August 2023. Arts and Entertainments. Florence Burns and Denise Mina's latest offering by Alistair Mabbitt. Free Fires, Denise Mina, Berlin, £10. Although principally known for her crime thrillers, Denise Mina has never been held back by the restrictions of genre. In 2021, she penned a novella on the murder of Mary, Queen of Scots secretary, David Rizzio, and has delved back into history once more for this short, punchy account of the life and death of Girolamo Savonarallo the Dominican friar who basically ran Florence in the last decade of the 15th century and would pay the ultimate price for defying the Vatican. Originally written for radio and intended to emulate the voice of P.G. Woodhouse, Three Fires has been reworked for print publication but still retains a trace of that knowing, ironic tone as it neatly distills to its essence the story of a promising young man from Ferrara who was unlucky in love and rejected a medical career to embrace the monastic life. In what was generally considered a fairly laid-back order, Savonarallo stood out as a fanatical Puritan, 
railing against the corruption of the church. Eventually settling in Florence, he got the ruling Medicis exiled and rallied the poor to his side with demands for better representation and an end to corruption. Claiming to have had prophetic apocalyptic visions, he promised a glorious future for Florence as the centre of a renewed purified church, essential components of which were, unfortunately, the persecution of Jews and homosexuals and the repression of women. Given that Florence was not only beset with graft and injustice, but happened to be one of the more liberal cosmopolitan city-states of its time, not all of its edicts were universally popular, and as an agitator who challenged the papacy, his days were inevitably numbered. In a deftly nuanced book, Mina gives us a Savonarallo who can be read as hero, anti-hero or villain, often all at once. When invited to identify with his idealism and moral outrage, sympathises his offer of marriage is spurned in the most humiliating way, and pity the indignity and cruelty of his death. But there's no getting past his toxic prejudices, the corrosive effect of his fanaticism, or his inability to make a real human connection with the people who flock to his side. Savonarallo is all ideology with little discernible capacity for compassion or empathy. Mina's conclusion that this world is the aftermath of Girolamo Savonarallo is hard to argue with. Today's readers will find both the friar and the 15th century Florence shockingly contemporary. That Savonarallo, a dismal public speaker at first, spent six years honing his presentational skills before making his big move strikes a chord in today's media-driven world, as does the fact he urged his followers to reject rationalism or even the evidence of their own eyes if it clashed with scripture, and preached theocracy as the solution to humanity's problems. He amassed followers by raging against the financial sector while demonising Jews and homosexuals and clamping down on women's freedoms, using rhetorical techniques adopted by the populists and demagogues currently steering political discourse. One of the factions in a divided Florence was even named the Proud Boys, and as if those contemporary parallels weren't enough, Mina presses the point home by entitling the chapter in which the young Girolamo is spurned by his intended bride an incel mishearing. Three Fires is a brisk, pointed and eminently readable account that examines the virtues and failings of a remarkable individual and helps us see our own world in relation to the late Middle Ages in a way that feels bracingly relevant and alive. By Alistair Mabbitt, Herald Scotland, recorded on Thursday 10th of August 2023. Arts and Entertainments. Food. A Feast for the Mind and the Senses from Jeff Sobel. By Barry Didcock, Senior Features Writer. Festival Theatre, Food, The Studio, Four Stars. American Jeff Sobel is an absurdist theatre maker, or clown if you prefer, who's best known to Edinburgh International Festival audiences as the creator of 2018 production Home, an examination, brackets, in his own inimitable style, close brackets, of all things to do with the domestic. This new solo show is no less wide-ranging, its subject no less politically, socially, or psychologically fertile possibly more so, as it relates to the stuff that keeps us alive in which we grow, manufacture, or, brackets, look away now vegans, close brackets, breed, catch, and farm on an industrial scale. Sabelle's stage is actually a massive table, dressed in a huge linen tablecloth, and with glasses, plates, and cutlery set out for the 30 or so audience members seated around it. Chet Baker plays as we enter, and above the table hangs a massive chandelier made from plastic cups, bottles, and shards of plastic packaging. Sabelle, in his waiter's outfit of crisp white shirt, waistcoat and trousers, 
busies himself with trays and drinks trolleys, then serves everyone a glass of wine, and so we begin. What follows never punches quite as hard as it might, though there are gestures aplenty towards the bigger issues surrounding food. Sabelle tackles gluttony, runs us through the history of Homo sapiens' discovery of hunting, cooking and cereal cultivation, plonks mics down in front of audience members and has them talk about food and memory, and the grimy, dusty final section whips off the tablecloth to reveal an expanse of soil from which he produces items which expand and comment on that story. Here, then, is what consumption has done to the environment. But it's the trickery, super-slick staging, physicality and fly sleight of hand, at some points resembling close magic, which makes food sing. So Bell pulls stunts which have you scratching your head in wonder, or, brackets, the subject is food, remember, close brackets, pulling a disgusted face. And though I was only two seats away from the audience member drafted in to help with one of his showstoppers, I still can't see how he did it. Quite a feast. By Barry Didcot, Herald Scotland, recorded on Thursday 10th of August 2023. Arts and Entertainments. Kieran Hurley turns out an edgy and unsettling black comedy. By Barry Didcot, Senior Features Writer. Fringe Theatre. Adults. Traverse Theatre. Four Stars. Here's a fecund, dramatic setup in a social situation which goes way beyond the awkward. What if you're a sex worker providing services from your tiny Edinburgh flat? And the client, who turns up one late afternoon, is your old English teacher. The one who wrote, you can do anything on your shirt on Leaver's Day. That's the situation Zara, brackets, Danny Heron, close brackets, finds herself when Ian, brackets, Conleth Hill, close brackets, or Mr. Urquhart, as she still thinks of him, walks through the door into her boudoir, a room where dildos and sex toys line the sideboard. A mirrored cabinet holds all manner of ropes and restraints, and a purple neon heart buzzes coolly on the wall. What's love got to do with it? Not much as it turns out. In fact, Mr Urquhart is here to see a boy, Zara's co-worker and partner in the business. J, brackets Anders Hayward, close brackets, but he's late, so as Zara tries to make small talk, difficult when you're hiding something and also laying down ground rules about sexual do's and don'ts, the cat leaves the bag and teacher and ex-pupil are revealed to each other. In this small oppressive space, everybody's in crisis, though some crises are more acute than others. Pretty boy Jay, when he turns up, isn't as young or as pretty as he once was. He has a baby daughter to care for and a partner he's separated from. Zara's dad doesn't know what she does for a living, and the learning she acquired when she finally made it to university has led nowhere. Ian is in the greatest trouble. Closeted, unhappily married, unsure of his place in the world, or, brackets worse, close brackets, his worth as a person. Ultimately, nobody is redeemed, but everybody finds consolation of sorts, either from a blessed moment of comfort with a stranger, or by saying the unsayable to the people who needed to hear it, themselves and the ones they think they hold closest. With a decade of theatre making behind him now, we can no longer call Kieran Hurley a rising star of Scottish stage but this unsettling and propulsive black comedy retains the edge his work has always had. Not an easy watch, but a worthwhile and affecting one. Until August 27, by Barry Didcock. This is from the Herald on Thursday the 10th of August 2023, from the news section. Alex Salmond brands Green Minister Patrick Harvey a total idiot. This article is written by Tom Gordon. Alex Salmond has ramped up his attack on Humza Yousaf's Green Minister, Patrick Harvey, 
calling him a total idiot at his show on the Edinburgh Fringe. Former SNP Cabinet Secretary Fergus Ewan also likened the SNP governing with the Greens to teenagers getting in with the wrong crowd. Mr Salmond, a former First Minister and now leader of the Alba Party, yesterday said the co-leader of the Scottish Greens was guilty of saying fundamentally stupid things. Interviewed by broadcaster Ian Dale at the Pleasance EICC, Mr Salmon cited Mr Harvey's recent public spat over home heat pumps with the Labour peer Willie Hohey. Governments shouldn't be insulting leading industrialists in Scotland for no reason, he said, adding the current First Minister should end the SNP-Green joint government deal. Later in the day, Mr Salmond went further at his own Westminster-style debate show, The Eyes Have It, attacking Mr Harvey directly, not merely his judgment. Speaking in favour of Scottish independence, he predicted his unionist opponents in the debate would use the Greens to attack independence. He said, We're going to hear a lot about Patrick Harvey, as if we should decide the case for independence on a total idiot like Patrick Harvey. Don't be ridiculous. As he sat down, he was clapped on the back by Mr Ewing, the former SNP Cabinet Secretary, who has become a pungent critic of the Greens at Holyrood. In his own contribution to the debate, Mr Ewing also referred to Mr Harvey as he extolled Scotland's traditional North Sea industries. He said, Look at what we've got, the resource we've got, not just oil and gas, which is still despite the green chap whose name has been mentioned once or twice, we have still got tremendous resource from oil and gas. And what I think he perhaps doesn't understand, and I do, is the people in our industry are respected as world leaders. He was then interrupted by fellow speaker David Davis, the former Brexit secretary, and asked, how is all this going to work with Patrick Harvey in government? Mr Ewing replied, you know how in teenage years some of our kids maybe get in with the wrong crowd? But, you know, what happens is you grow up. That's what happens. Mr Ewing also joked about the police probe into SNP's finance, which saw a luxury motorhome seized from outside the home of Nicola Sturgeon's mother-in-law. I've been around in the SNP for a hell of a long time, so long that I can remember the days when we couldn't even afford to rent a camper van, Mr Ewan said. The Scottish Greens have been asked for comment. And that article was written by Tom Gordon. This is from the Herald on Thursday the 10th of August 2023. From the news section. Scottish brewer Harveston wins prestigious US award. This article is written by Scott Wright. The all-female brewing team at Scotland's Harveston Brewery has tasted success at the World Beer Awards this week. Amy Coburn and Lisa Matthews scooped a prestigious honour for the Clackmannanshire Brewery, which won gold in the classic Pilsner category for its Shehallian craft lager. Shehallian was the only Scottish winner in that class. The beer now has the opportunity to compete for the Best Craft Lager Crown at the World Beer Awards on August the 24th. 
Miss Coburn, master brewer, and Miss Matthews, brewer, are credited with being the drive force of Harveston today, following in illustrious footsteps. The Alva Base Brewery has been a pioneering player on the craft beer scene in Scotland since it was established by Ken Booker, a former Ford engineer and fanatical home brewer in 1983. Ten years later, the brewer's Bitter and Twisted was named Champion Beer of Britain by Camera, campaign for real ale, at its Great British Beer Festival. Miss Coburn, who has been with the brewery for 15 years, said, We're over the moon to have won this top gold award for Shehalian. The success and global reputation of this very special craft lager is owed to the unrelenting passion and craftsmanship of everyone in the Harveston Brewing team. When you name your beer after a mountain like Shehalian, your beer better be breathtaking too. Ours has an elegant head, fresh crispness and a lingering grapefruit finish, which is all thanks to a lot of uphill work from our entire brewing team. As a pioneer producer and modern craft classic, we've been brewing since the early 1980s and have been crafting beer long before it became a popular trend. But we're continuing to innovate and develop our product range. Harveston's beers, which are produced steadfastly from local ingredients, including soft water from Glen Turret and barley grown by the Forth, are stocked by leading Scottish hospitality destinations, such as Glen Eagles, Cameron House, the Caledonian, the Balmoral and Turnberry. It currently employs 12 people. That article was written by Scott Wright. From the Herald Scotland, Friday the 11th of August 2023. From the news section, Homs and Yousaf unfazed after Heckler shouts F asterisk 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 U at him at Fringe. Story by political editor Tom Gordon. Homs and Yousaf has spoken about constantly feeling conscious of being a person of colour after a right-wing heckler shouted F asterisk 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 you at him at the Edinburgh Fringe. The First Minister was interrupted by ultra-unionists as he appeared at broadcaster Ian Dale's all-talk show at the Pleasance EICC earlier this week. In another Fringe appearance, Mr Yousaf urged people dismissed because of their colour, gender or background to tell the bigots F asterisk 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 you. The words were cast back at him by Niall Fraser, who is part of Force for Good protest outside the SNP's recent independence convention in Dundee. After Mr Yousaf said, middle-aged conservative white men were largely to blame for writing off people of colour and regarding them as not truly belonging in public life, Mr Fraser shouted, Excuse me, Humza, your white, white, white speech was the most bigoted thing Scotland has ever heard. So, on behalf of Scotland, if, expletive deleted, you, you're a pestilence on the land, you are despicable, you should be behind bars. Amid jeering from the audience, Mr Yousaf said, it's a democracy. As the man was laid out of the room, Mr Yousaf quipped, I don't mind a good hinkle, frankly, because it saves my dad from doing it. However, he told the audience, 
I had too many people who had been racist to me throughout my life. Mr Yusuf says, As a person of colour, there is a real sense of frustration at the amount of times people of colour in any profession get told, essentially, you don't belong here. They're told that in different ways, you're not intelligent enough, you're not good enough, you're out of your depth, this, that and the other. He said he had spoken about this with London Mayor Sadiq Khan, as well as former SNP MP Tasmina Ahmed Sheikh, who is now a member of the rival pro-independence ALBA party. We all get told the same thing, Mr Yusuf said. He continued, Every interaction I have I am conscious about my colour. I can be the first minister of this country, but I am afraid there are some people who will always look at me first as a person of colour, and they will form a judgement. So, when you ask me if it's something that is on my mind, I can't not be conscious of my colour, because everybody else is conscious of my colour. While he insisted his race does not dominate everything I do, the first minister went on to say it would be a shame if I didn't use my position to make sure that I do as much as I can for any marginalised group, not just people of colour. Mr Yusuf also said he had been unsure whether to run for FM after Ms Sturgeon quit, but was encouraged to do it by his wife. Later, he was interrupted by environmental protesters who called on him to speak out against new oil and gas licences being granted by the UK government in the North Sea. Mr Yusuf told them, I don't think Scotland's future is in oil and gas. Rishi Sunak, last month, travelled to Scotland to announce government support for future oil and gas licensing rounds, with the Prime Minister saying then he wants to max out developments in the North Sea. A third woman plugged her show at the, at the fringe at the end. In the article is by Tom Gordon. From the Herald Scotland, Friday the 11th of August 2023, from the politics section, Kate Forbes said she dodged a bullet by losing SNP leadership race. Article by Tom Gordon, political editor. Kate Forbes has said she dodged a bullet, or something even more explosive, by losing the SNP leadership contest earlier this year. The former finance secretary joked she sometimes felt most delighted at the outcome. Humza Yusuf won the raise by 52% to 48% against Ms Forbes in the final count, but has been overshadowed ever since by SNP scandal and infighting. The early weeks of his premiership were derailed by the arrests of senior SNP figures, including Nicola Sturgeon and her husband, former party chief executive Peter Morell. Police are investigating if £660,000 specifically raised for Indiref 2 was misspent. Will the SNP slipping in the polls? Mr Yusuf today admitted the probe was hurting the party on the doorstep. The party has also seen splits over its independence strategy. At a special conference, Mr Yusuf replaced Ms Sturgeon's plan to use the general election as a de facto referendum with a watered-down version based on MP numbers which has failed to inspire the membership. One of the party's sharpest internal critics, the Western Isles MP Angus McNeil, was expelled from the SNP on Thursday for indiscipline after choosing not to take the party whip after a suspension and calling the party clueless on how to win independence. With Labour already targeting the seat, Ms Forbes said Mr McNeil's exit would do the SNP zero favours at the general election. 
She called for a renegotiation of the SNP Green joint government deal as parts were now defunct, including a partial fishing ban and the doomed deposit return scheme. Ms Forbes was speaking on the Edinburgh Fringe at For The Many Live with broadcaster Ian Dale and former Labour Home Secretary Jackie Smith. She said not entering Butte House had given her more time with her first child, Naomi, who was born late last August. Asked if she had dodged a bullet by losing the SNP leadership, given the problems on Mr Yousaf's plate since he won, she said, I've certainly, whenever in the last few months, was returning home from toddler group when First Minister's questions on the radio, was most delighted by the way things had worked out. So I think that it's been enormously enormously difficult and I think not just dodged a bullet, but perhaps something even more explosive than that. Asked about Mr McNeil being thrown out of the SNP, the Sky, Lockhaper and Badenoch MSP said she didn't know enough about the specifics of the case to say if it was justified. But she said, I, I think it's always unfortunate when anybody leaves. I think it's even more unfortunate when this has happened. I do not know the ins and outs sufficiently of what the case was, but I think this result does us zero favours when it comes to the next election in the Western Isles. Scottish Labour has made the seat one of its key targets at the elections, selecting the respected former Daily Record political editor, Torquil Crichton, as its candidate. Ms Forbes added, I do not know the case, but I do know, in terms of outcome, that it does us no service in the Western Isles, which is going to be quite a challenging seat anyway for reasons that are probably pretty obvious. So I don't think it helps in that long term. During the leadership contest against Mr Yousaf and third place finisher Ash Regan, Ms Ford said it was highly, highly unlikely that she would try again to beat FM if she lost. She repeated the line in the show, but appeared to leave the door slightly more ajar by adding at the end that it was her position at the moment. Asked if she would have another go at the leadership, she said, Certainly, at the moment, I absolutely stand by what I've said, which is, I have no desire to rerun. And that article was by political editor Tom Gordon. Herald Scotland recorded on Thursday 10th of August 2023. Arts and Entertainments. Festival Theatre. Dusk Royal Lyceum Theatre. Neil Cooper. Five Stars. By Neil Cooper, theatre critic. We're waiting for a signal, actor Matthew Sampier says to the audience as he and the rest of the cast wander the stage on the Sunday night performance of Brazilian director Christiane Yate's Edinburgh International Festival run of her remarkable reimagining of Lars von Trier's 2003 film Dogville. Given that film's inherent theatricality, as von Trier's cast played out the story of one woman's unannounced arrival in a small American town, with only chalk floor markings indicating the setting. Such a nod to the artifice of life on stage is perhaps unsurprising. As Sam Pure and the rest of the ten-strong ensemble eye up the cheap seats waiting for things to begin. However, here, at least, he might just mean what he says. Then again, Sam Pure introduces himself as Tom, who, as anyone who has seen Dogville will know, is the story's male lead. Whatever, nothing is hidden in anything that follows. As Tom and co. set out their store by explaining how Jatahe's reinvention looks to the now deposed right-wing regime in her home country to tell a story of otherness. What follows as the woman Grace is plucked from the theatre stalls, shows, 
how those seeking sanctuary from whatever has caused them to exile themselves can be demonised, brutalised and outlawed, and how once sane communities can turn hostile. What this mercifully means on stage in this international production led by the Geneva-based Comedy de Genève company is no flat-footed polemic, but a wildly inventive deconstruction that mixes up live action and film to create an increasingly troubling spectacle that leaves everyone exposed. Film footage writ large on the big screen becomes increasingly out of sync with the live actions as the community splinters, as a Brazilian woman stepping into an alien world, Julia Bernat's grace, becomes a symbol of how ugly things can turn once fake news is believed. Despite this radical reworking, Jatahe's audacious burrow of a show gives an even rawer edge to an already brutal meditation on how everyday power and privilege can lead to tribalist hysteria. By Neil Cooper Herald Scotland recorded on Wednesday 16th of August 2023 Arts and Entertainments National Library to host rare performance of medieval Gaelic ballads by Kimberly Mannion. Historic ballads known as Luyan, which were a central part of traditional Gaelic culture during the late Middle Ages, are to be brought back to life with a concert at the National Library of Scotland. A concert at the iconic venue on Saturday 23 September is hoping to breathe new life into the ancient songs and bring them to a wider audience. The event is also being recorded, with the recording released at the end of the year with the aim of opening up the music and tradition even more widely to people across the UK and abroad and add to posterity in the archive. The reinterpreted Luyan project is a collaboration between traditional Gaelic singer Mary McMillan from South Uist and the Outer Hebrides, Ned Bigham, a distinguished modern composer who works in a wide range of genres, from classical to electronica, and the Edinburgh Quartet, a chamber ensemble known for their dedication to innovative music. The endeavour to revive the heroic Gaelic ballads is a joint one between the musicians and academics. John Francis Campbell, a 19th century folklorist and polymath, worked through manuscripts, printed material and conducted fieldwork in the Highlands and Islands to compile one of the most important collections of Lyon. The text Campbell compiled provided those working in the project with fascinating contextual details on singers who performed the songs in the Middle Ages, which could act as a springboard for the creatives to launch their own fresh interpretations. Campbell is not a stranger to the National Library of Scotland, having been the brains behind its first bilingual exhibition, Skiel, or Story, which opened in June of this year and will continue until April 2024. For this, he worked with local storytellers to record and save Gaelic folk tales at risk of extinction due to the oral tradition through which they have always been passed. Academics from the University of the Highland and Islands National Centre for Gaelic Language and Culture, Dal William Stuerst and Abigail Burniett, will introduce the concert, offering the audience an insight into the history and stories behind the ballads, delivered in both English and Gaelic. Musician Ned Bigham commented, A few years ago, Don and Abigail introduced me to the fascinating Gaelic tradition of these heroic ballads that had come across from Ireland starting in the 12th century. They belong to the high art tradition in their communities, which may be why many contemporary singers have felt intimidated to take them on, and it is now rare to hear them. In reimagining them for a modern audience, we have set them to string quartet, which as far as we are aware is a first. The combination of the wonderfully talented Gaelic singer Mary McMillan and the internationally renowned Edinburgh Quartet, together with the ballad's beautiful melodies and spell-binding narratives, should be really magical. Abigail Burniett of the University of the Highland and Islands said, Whether in a chief's hall or in a Cayley house, 
The characters of these Laoian were known and what happens to them was both familiar and deeply felt. The performance of these tales was part of an intimate conversation between storytellers and singers and their audiences. It's not theatre or opera. The song is there to carry the words, and the words are what's important. The ballads were high art, but their stories belong to everybody and will resonate with people just as much today as in the past. National librarian Amina Shah said, The Oceanic Ballads are the culmination of research, musical collaboration and performance, which will truly bring the collections to life. The performances perfectly complement our Skiel Story exhibition, which showcases Gaelic folk tales that were rescued from oblivion in the 19th century. In the same vein, the heroic Lion will be revived for modern audiences through the Oceanic Ballads. The performers will also breathe new life into the library's public spaces and will pave the way for more musical events in the National Library of Scotland. We're grateful to be working with such talented musicians and for the support of the Murray family and the American patrons of the National Library and Galleries of Scotland. Tickets go on sale on Wednesday 16 August and the event will also be live streamed by Kimberly Mannion. Herald Scotland recorded on Monday 14th of August 2023. Arts and Entertainments. Radio Review. Chris Lewis and his extraordinary journey around Scotland. By Teddy Jameson, Senior Features Writer. For mundane domestic reasons, brackets, taking my daughter to work if you must know, close brackets, I was up at stupid o'clock last Saturday morning. It wasn't dark quite, but it wasn't light either. I turned the radio on during the short journey and Graham Liver was coming to the end of his shift in Five Live. He was talking to former soldier Chris Lewis, who in 2017 decided to walk around the coast of the United Kingdom. Six years later, he's crossed the finish line, Liver explained, with a new fiancé, a baby son and a pet dog called Jet, having walked 19,000 miles and raised £500,000 for an armed forces charity. Scotland played a big part in Lewis's story. He met his dog in Ayrshire and his fiancée on the Walligo Steps in Caithness. A Scottish fisherman had to tell him that lockdown was happening and he spent it foraging for himself and Jet on Hildesey. My car journey wasn't a long one and I only heard about five minutes of this chat, but listening to this story before I went back to bed felt like a very companionable way to spend the time. Which might be radio's greatest strength, the company it provides in dark mornings and late nights. The noise around the latest Rajar figures released the other week were all about Radio 2 losing listeners after the departure of Ken Bruce and the related upswings in ratings for Greatest Hits Radio, brackets, which mostly goes to show that people like Ken Bruce, close brackets. But more interesting was the finding that revealed that radio reaches 88% of the UK population, some 49.5 million people, on a weekly basis, with listeners tuning in on an average of 20.5 hours per week. For all the rise and rise of the podcast, it's proof that, for many of us, radio is still woven into our daily lives. And at its best, it provides a window into other lives like Chris Lewis's and, clumsy segue alert, the 88-year-old folk singer Shirley Collins. Collins was the latest guest in Desert Island Discs, Radio 4, Sunday and Friday, and it was one for the ages. What a life she has lived. From being shot at by German planes during the war, to visiting a segregated United States in the 1960s, singing with her late sister Dolly, a failed marriage, being struck down with dysphonia, or losing her voice, and then finding it again 38 years later. Speaking to Lorne Laverne, she looked back at a childhood dominated by a dogmatic communist mother and a father who returned from the war only to leave his family almost immediately to move in with a red-headed widow who lived two doors away. Collins recalled, 
I always think it was dyed hair. If her mother was an overwhelming presence in her life, her father was merely an absence. I didn't see him again until I was 32 and Dolly and I were giving a concert in Southampton and there was Dad in the audience. And that was the last I saw of him. He bought us a half pound box of milk tray chocolates each and it didn't seem quite adequate. On that night in Southampton, Collins couldn't even bring herself to talk to him because he'd left us. The only present he'd ever given his daughters in the years between were a pair of stockings each stamped substandard, she added. I thought, that's what my dad thinks of me. I threw mine away. It was a show full of honesty and feeling. When Collins spoke about her late sister, you could hear the emotion crackling in her voice. It was a pleasure to spend time in Collins's company, and between the words and the music, you could feel a whole life breathing in all its joy and sorrow. P.S. Just before Desert Island Discs on Sunday, I caught the end of The Archers. Not something I regularly listen to, but that theme tune does stir the heart. Billy Connolly's suggestion that it should become the national anthem still seems a good one. Listen out for the afternoon show Radio Scotland, Monday to Friday, 1.30pm. Radio Scotland's arts show is always in its element during August, with the world's largest arts festival on our doorstep. Janice Forsyth, Michelle McManus and Nicola Mayen take it in turns through the week to keep us up to date by Terry Jameson. From the Herald, Scotland, Monday the 14th of August 2023, from the news section, Food Security UK will face issues as climate crisis deepens by Jody Harrison. The UK will face ever greater food insecurity as long as greenhouse gas emissions continue heating the Earth's atmosphere, analysts have said. Around half the food consumed here is from abroad and a quarter of those imports are from the Mediterranean. Droughts, heat waves and wildfires have damaged harvests in southern Europe as we have intense rainstorms and flash flooding all increasingly extreme features of climate change. Spain alone accounts for 7% of UK imports and is the main source for some healthy staples such as oranges, lemons, grapes, sweet peppers and olive oil. Last year, Spain experienced an extraordinarily hot summer, bringing severe drought and the worst wildfire season in recent years. Olive oil production suffered as a result with prices shooting up and, until April this year, it was the top product pushing up food inflation in the UK, according to analysts from the Energy and Climate Intelligence Unit, ECIU. They see that these weather extremes will continue to worsen as long as greenhouse gas emissions keep rising and, therefore, controlling them is the only way to ensure consumers are protected from future shocks. Gareth Redmond King, Head of International Programme at ECIU, said, even when we're not experiencing extreme weather, we're not immune to its impacts in a globalised world. Shortages of salad and other vegetables in UK supermarkets in February this year, caused by extremes in southern Spain and North Africa, brought home to people just how vulnerable the UK is to the impact of climate change on our food. In a new report called Climate Impacts on UK Food Imports, the ECIU said the UK cannot simply grow its way out of the crisis because to do so would create extra energy demand at a time when growers still rely on fossil fuels. Last year, many UK growers experienced lower yields because of rising gas prices internationally and making more commodities reliant on that volatile market would only further threaten food security, the ECIU said. 
it would be also difficult to grow Mediterranean food outdoors, even with an increasingly warmer climate, because short-term weather patterns are becoming too unstable, and it would also take years for the, for new skills and infrastructure to emerge, the analyst added. Polling commissioned by the climate-focused, not-for-profit Round Our Way also suggests that 61% of Britons think the 2023 European heatwaves will negatively impact food prices in the UK and that politicians should be doing all they can to stop extreme weather getting worse. Mr Redden King said, It's sobering to realise just how much we rely on food imports that come from parts of the world most at risk from the changing climate. This should be a wake-up call about the vulnerability of our food supply chains to climate change. We can't simply grow our way out of the problem by producing many of these foods in the UK. The only surefire way to avoid even worse and more dangerous impacts is to keep global temperature rises to 1.5 degrees Celsius and the only way to do that is to cut our emissions to net zero. In an article by reporter Jodie Harrison. From the Herald Scotland, Monday the 14th of August 2023, from the news section, how robocows are helping to keep Scotland's cattle happy. Article by Sandra Dick. Tracking your steps to hit the golden target of at least 10,000 per day has become an obsession for many aiming to keep fit and get healthy. Now it's emerged that hitting the sweet spot of the right number of steps every day is also good for dairy cattle. Researchers have fitted robocows with tracking sensors, similar to pedometers found on smartwatches and Fitbits, to show the ones that get their step count every day seem more content than their indoor couch potato counterparts. With more activity in their day, the happier cow's behaviour changes to display more herd synchrony, when animals carry out more of the same behaviour such as all lying or all standing at the same time. Such behaviour is regarded as being more natural and known to be an indicator of positive welfare. The information can help dairy farmers better understand how their herd is responding to the environment in which they are kept, whether that's indoors in barns or outside in pasture. Once able to accurately gauge their behaviour, they can put in measures to help boost their mood. In the case of cows kept indoors, that could be softer bedding, more space to feed, and gadgets such as mechanical grooming brushes which encourage animals to exercise, stand up and can reduce stress. Keeping dairy cows happy, stress-free and better managed helps to improve milk yields and even reduce carbon emissions. While it also meets consumer demand for dairy products, which can confirm they are sourced from happy herds. The research corresponds with well-established advice for humans that a sedentary lifestyle is linked to poorer health. According to the World Health Organisation, insufficient physical activity is the fourth most frequent cause of death in the world, with 3.2 million deaths a year attributed to it. While it's generally been considered that 10,000 steps a day is the key target for humans, Researchers last week revealed walking just 4,000 steps a day may be enough to reduce the risk of an early death. The study concluded that the more a person walks, the lower the risk. Walking and being outdoors has also been linked to having positive mental health benefits. Animal-mounted sensors designed for a range of production and management benefits, such as fertility tracking, are becoming more commonplace on farms. Environmental sensors and camera technologies are also used by dairy farmers to manage issues such as feeding 
and to predict when cows are preparing to calf. In some cases, movement sensors have been fitted to dairy hairs to help identify the early stages of lameness, which in turn help farmers react quicker to potential problems which, if left too long, can lead to the animal having to be slaughtered. The technologies also capture a wide range of data which researchers from the Scotland Rural College, SRUC, Dairy Research and Innovation Centre, Dr Holly Ferguson and Dr Laurie Shrewbridge-Carter, suspected could be harnessed to help better understand animal behaviour and improve welfare. They work with the University of Strathclyde Electronic and Electrical Engineering Department and 16 first milk dairy farms across the UK to carry out the study. Sensors attached to cows' collars, ears and ankles capture data on time the hair spent lying down, their activity levels, including their step count, and how long they spent ruminating and eating. The study used a measurement known as Qualitative Behaviour Assessment, QBA, to rate their conduct, how they responded to activity, and whether their mood was friendly or irritable. It showed that indoor cows are remarkably inactive, with step counts ranging from just 300 to 1,000 steps per day. Cows in pasture, meanwhile, notched up between 2,000 and 6,000 steps. Increased step count and a decrease in standing time was said to be linked to positive behaviours among cows, with animals in pasture settings displaying better herd synchrony. Researcher Dr Holly Ferguson said the study had helped show that sensor data can be a useful tool for farmers seeking to ensure their herd is content, whether animals are generally kept indoors or outside. We are trying to create a new way of measuring positive welfare in cattle, she added. It is important to make sure animals are the happiest they can be regardless of where they are. A happy cow is a healthy and productive cow. Whether indoors or outside, if they are not as happy as as could be, they are not going to make as much milk. And that article was by Sandra Dick. From the Herald Scotland, Monday the 14th of August 2023, the news section, SWG3, two teens die following an all-day rave at Glasgow venue. Report by Jodie Harrison. Two teenagers have died after collapsing following an all-night party at a nightclub. The 18-year-old men were both reported to have attended an event in the SWG3 in Glasgow on Saturday. One collapsed at the huge venue and was taken to the Queen Elizabeth University Hospital in Glasgow, but died a short time after admission. The second man was found after taking on well at Croy Railway Station in Lanarkshire. He was taken to the nearby University Hospital Monklands in Airdrie, but, tragically, he could not be revived. The sold-out event at the Galvanizer's Yard, part of the complex, began at 2pm on Saturday, featuring DJ Ben Hemsley. After he had finished at 10pm, an after-party was held until 3am at the indoor part of the venue. A Police Scotland spokesperson told the Scottish Sun, Around 11.20pm on Saturday, August 12th, we were called to a report of a man taking unwell at the Constantly Road area of Croy. Emergency services attended and an 18-year-old was taken to University Hospital Monklands in Airdrie, where he was pronounced dead a short time later. Next of kin are aware and inquiries are ongoing to establish the full circumstances. Around 2.20am on Sunday, August 13th, 
We were made aware that a man had become unwell at a premises in Eastfield Place, Glasgow. An 18-year-old was taken to the Queen Elizabeth University Hospital, where he was pronounced dead a short time later. Next of kin have been informed, and inquiries are ongoing to establish the full circumstances. A spokesperson for SWG3 said, We are devastated at the news and our deepest sympathies are with the families. We will continue to assist the police with their inquiries. And that report was by Jodie Harrison. From the Herald, Monday 14th of August 2023, Sports Section. UCI Cycling World Championships event hailed as huge success by Jodie Harrison, reporter. Organisers of the UCI Cycling World Championships had declared the event as one of the greatest ever held as the final competitors cycled off into the sunset. The world's biggest cycling event, which saw hundreds of competitors descend in Glasgow from around the globe, came to an end on Sunday with the culmination of the women's road race at George Square. For the past 11 days, the city has been host to elite riders competing in the streets and venues, watched by an estimated audience of half a million spectators. Council leader Susan Aitken declared the competition a massive success. She said, From the first race to the last, riders, fans and officials have been telling us that the 2023 UCI Cycling World Championships will go down in history as not only the biggest, but one of the greatest ever held. The UCI approached Glasgow to pioneer this new Super World Championships because they understood what a great event city this is. What an amazing passion for sport that it has, and they knew we were the safest pair of hands when it came to making it all work. The faith they showed in Glasgow to host a truly global event was remarkable, and I'm delighted that the city has been able to repay that faith so emphatically, surprising their expectations and even our own. She added, there is nowhere quite like Glasgow when it comes to creating an atmosphere and people who are ready to throw themselves into an event, heart and soul. For Glasgow, the last 11 days has demonstrated that the power of the bike is making an already great city more vibrant and healthier, accessible, active and connected. Bailey Annette Christie, Chair of Glasgow Life, commended the contribution of the 1,800 volunteers known as the Champs Clan, who supported competition venues across the city. She said major events like this simply couldn't operate without these wonderful individuals who give so generously of their time to support others and the unique personality and energy they bring to the event. We will look to capitalise on the skills these volunteers have at future city events and from speaking to lots of them over the last two weeks, I know they will benefit personally from this special experience. Glasgow is the first UK city to be awarded UCI Bike City status which recognises cities and regions which host major UCI cycling events and invest in developing community cycling and related infrastructure and programmes. There's now a total of 415.8 kilometres of cycling infrastructure in the city and in the past five years, £42 million has been invested. Councillor Angus Miller, City Convener for Transport, said... The 2023 UCI Cycling World Championships have been a superb advert for cycling in Glasgow and across Scotland as a whole. The past week has been a unique opportunity to see world-class competitors at close hand and if they've helped to create a real buzz about cycling in the city. 
In the last year alone, we've seen significant progress on our plans for a comprehensive city network of safe, segregated cycling infrastructure right across the city. Glasgow secured a UK first in 2019 when it was awarded UCI Bank City status for its commitment to cycling. And it's a status we're determined to live up to long after the Cycling World Championships are over. That article was by Judy Harrison. The Herald on the 15th of August and the news section. Bird and Blend Tea Co. opens first Edinburgh store today by Brian Donnelly. A new city tea shop that will also stage mixology classes opens its doors today. Bird and Blend Tea Co. arrives in the Scottish capital with a 15th retail store in its portfolio. The Edinburgh store is the first of three retail outlets opening before the end of the year, following its launch on the high street 10 years ago. The store will create at least six new jobs that will be an integral part of the imaginative and magical customer journey offered in-store. The Bird and Blend Tico said it aims to create a fun, interactive in-store experience, mixing award-winning tea-based drinks, including flavours like birthday cake and blue raspberry, to chocolate digestives, builder's breakfast brew and Earl Grey creme. The new store manager and training manager head up the team, supported by four tea mixologist roles. The firm said retail stores are the heart of Bird and Blend Tico, alongside its successful e-commerce business. In addition to mixing tea, the Edinburgh team will also host live free matcha tea demos, offer a tea matching service, showcase new and innovative flavour combinations, run mixology masterclasses, and hold other events. Bird and Blend Tico was founded by Chrissy Smith and Mike Turner, who met at university. Beginning their story packing tea in their bedroom and attending markets, they have built Bird and Blend Tico from scratch. The firm said, now with a wonderfully diverse team, multiple retail stores and a thriving international online store, the brand is leading the way in tea innovation in the UK, creating a range of over 100 exciting tea flavours by blending ingredients including herbs, flowers, fruits, caramel, chocolate and even cake sprinkles. Mr Turner said, customer experience is at the heart of everything we do. Alongside the fast growth of the digital side of our business, we're proudly continuing to invest in local high streets too. We see our stores as not just retail spaces, but as community hubs where our customers can come to make connections with one another and our team and enjoy interacting with our teas. For us, there will always be a place for magical in-person experiences, and we're delighted to be arriving in Edinburgh. Opening today with a fringe pop-up, followed by a full opening shortly afterwards, the store will showcase its range of teas and the latest matcha tea range that can be found in the UK via its bespoke tea wall display, alongside the wide range of tea tools and utensils in its takeaway tea bar. The store will run its own award-winning mixology workshops where guests can learn about tea and blend their own to take home. On opening day, the first 50 customers will receive an exclusive Edinburgh tote bag and free tea. The Bird and Blend Edinburgh store is at 89 Rose Street. Scottish unemployment figure up by 24,000 over three months. 
Scotland's unemployment rate has jumped to 4% as new figures showed a rise in the number of people out of work. Data from the Office for National Statistics, ONS, showed 109,000 people aged 16 and over were out of work over the period April to June, up by 24,000 on the first three months of the year. There were 2,652,000 Scots in work, down by 31,000 on the January to March figures. Papa John grabs a slice of Scottish algae technology. Scottish food safety specialist Liber Eat has secured a deal with an international pizza chain to deliver allergen information to more than 500 stores, including those in Scotland. Headquartered in Aberdeen, Liber Eat's AI-driven platform will be deployed by Papa John's across the UK as a second line of defence to support the restaurant chain's food safety and quality assurance measures to protect customers against allergen risks. And that was by Brian Donnelly. The Herald on the 15th of August and uh, the news section. SWG3 deaths of two teenagers after all-day party were drug-related by Jody Harrison. Police officers probing the deaths of two teenagers who attended an all-night party at Glasgow venue have said that both were drug-related. Officers are continuing to investigate the deaths of the 18-year-olds who both attended a 12-hour rave at the SWG3 nightclub. No links between the deaths have been established, and police say there was no connection between the two young men. The sold-out event at the Galvanizer's Yard, part of the complex, began at 2pm on Saturday, featuring DJ Ben Hemsley. After he finished at 10pm, an after-party was held until 3am at the indoor part of the venue. One of the teams collapsed at the huge venue at around 2am and was taken to the Queen Elizabeth University Hospital in Glasgow. He died a short time after admission. The second man was found after taking on well at Croy Railway Station in Lanarkshire at 11.20pm. He was taken to the nearby University Hospital Monklands in Airdrie but could not be revived. Police Scotland have appealed for anyone with information who could help the investigation to come forward. Chief Superintendent Mark Sutherland, Divisional Commander for Greater Glasgow, said, Our thoughts remain with the family and friends of the two men who have lost their lives. So far in our inquiries, it's been established that both of these men, who were unknown to each other, attended the same event on Saturday night. However, inquiries remain ongoing, and although we are investigating both deaths as drug-related at this time, there's no evidence to suggest there's a connection between these deaths. Officers were seen at the venue in the Eastvale Place area of the city yesterday. It was cordoned off for a while as they carried out an investigation. Chief Sup Sutherland, uh, Sutherland added, We are committed to establishing the full circumstances and are working with the venue colleagues in the HS and Public Health Scotland as our inquiries continue to ensure a partnership and public health-led approach. Anyone with information that could assist is asked to contact Police Scotland on 101, quoting incident number 4538 of 12 August. And that was by Jodie Harrison. The Herald on the 15th of August and the news section. 
Scottish ministers showing casual disregard for industry by Scott Wright. The Scottish self-catering industry has slammed ministers for dismissing its concerns over a licensing regime for short-term letting accommodation, as new figures show majority of operators have still to apply to scheme shortly before it's due to go live in October. The Association of Scotland's Self-Caterers has declared today that the Scottish Government has casually dismissed its concerns over the costly and onerous nature of short-term let licensing. Ministers are introducing the scheme to address the impact of the rise of unregulated Airbnb-style short-term letting accommodation, including the effects on the supply of housing for local residents and concern over antisocial behaviour. The licensing scheme, which was due to be launched in March before being delayed for six months, is mandatory for all short-term let accommodation across Scotland, including holiday cottages, B&Bs, guest houses, pods and yurts. But the scheme has consistently come under fire from the self-catering industry, which has warned over the cost of complying with the system. Recent survey of around 1,270 short-let businesses by the ASSC found more than 60% of operators had yet to apply for a licence. In addition, it said the Scottish Government's own figures showed that only 16% of the estimated short-term lets have applied, and that with just 34 days to go until the deadline, just 8% had been granted a licence. The ASSC, which represents more than 1,700 members, said yesterday that many operators had already left the sector because of the regulatory burden and warned that more will follow suit due to the impact of the regulations. But it said that despite repeatedly flagging its concerns to the Scottish Government, its misgivings have been ignored, and that it had been rebuffed in its requests for a meeting with First Minister Hamza Yousaf. It wants to meet Mr Yousaf as soon as possible to help save jobs and livelihoods in the self-catering sector, and work to put in place a fair, lawful and proportionate regulatory framework. Fiona Campbell, Chief Executive of the ASSC above, said this is unfortunately the last latest example of the casual disregard of the Scottish Government shown towards the tourism industry. They failed to appoint a dedicated tourism minister, but when they did, they've put their fingers in their ears when our sector has expressed concern about licensing. All of our outstanding concerns and alternative regulatory approaches were recently brushed aside by ministers. We're meant to have a new deal for business, but it appears to be the same old, same old approach from the Scottish Government, hitting small businesses and rural areas in the pocket. With the clock ticking down to the licensing deadline, we need a sense of urgency and not complacency. Another policy disaster is set to unfold, and we sincerely hope the First Minister can get round the table before it's too late. And that was by Scott Wright. The Herald, on the 15th of August and the news section. Patrick Harvey cuts funding for solar to push heat pumps strategy by David Ball. Homeowners wanting to install solar panels can no longer receive Scottish Government funding without forking out to upgrade their property's heating system. Green Carbon Zero Buildings Minister Patrick Harvey is bringing forward a strategy to clean up how homes in Scotland are heated, with 13% of the country's emissions coming from the sector. 
Mr Harvey is encouraging homeowners to replace traditional fossil fuel gas boilers with more sustainable heating measures such as heat pumps, which are good for the environment when powered by renewable electricity. But it has now been revealed that funding for solar photovoltaic PV and battery storage systems in the form of grants and loans will only be made available if homeowners, homeowners also pay out for a renewable heating system. Mr. Harvey said there had been a substantial increase in the number of applications received for solar PV and batteries, the majority of which are not installed alongside a zero-emissions heating system and therefore do not contribute directly to decarbonation of heat in homes. He warned that there is a need to be focusing finite public funding in the ways which best support the strategy to decarbonize homes, adding that funding is being targeted to measures which will have the bigger impact on reducing emissions from heating homes. Under the Home Energy Scotland scheme, people can obtain grant funding of £1,250 to install solar PV or battery energy systems, with an additional £4,760 available as an interest fee loan. In the 2022-23 financial year, year, statistics show that 1,464 solar PV devices were installed with full funding from the Scottish Government's Home Energy Scotland Grant and Loan Scheme, with interest-free loans worth £7,249,076 and grants worth just £3,750 paid out. A total of 408 solar PV devices with loans totaling £1,201,327 were also paid in part by the Scottish Government scheme. Mr Harvey has confirmed that now this funding is available where these measures are installed alongside a renewable heating system. He added that when a zero direct emissions heating system is installed, such as a heat pump, a solar PV system and battery storage can be used to generate and store some of the electricity required to run the system, reducing electricity demand and the running costs for the homeowner. Mr Harvey said a solar PV system and battery storage system would not support a household reducing demand for gas if it is installed in a home heated by a gas boiler. Solar PV and energy storage can reduce overall energy bills for consumers with other forms of heating such as oil and gas, but they do not specifically contribute to reducing the energy required to heat homes. He added recently, we have seen a substantial increase in the number of applications received to the scheme. Much of this rise has been driven by surge in applications for solar PV and energy storage systems, the majority of which are not installed alongside a zero uh, emissions heating system and therefore do not contribute directly to decarbonisation of heat in homes. So we have reviewed funding to ensure that we are focusing finite public funding in the ways which best support the heat and building strategy aims. Solar PV and energy storage systems will continue to be funded through the scheme, but only where installed alongside a certified renewable heating measure, such as a heat pump or where there's already one in place. As such, funding is being targeted at measures which will have the biggest impact on reducing emissions from heating homes. Scottish Conservative MSP Liam Kerr said cutting funding for solar power flies in the face of Patrick Harvey's rhetoric on increasing the use of renewable resources of energy in Scotland. 
Serious questions must be answered by the Green Minister as to why such a crucial change to this scheme was carried out without any consultation and announced without any fanfare. He added, it is little wonder that Patrick Harvey failed to be upfront about this. At a time when he's about to stop people from selling their homes for failing to replace their gas boilers, he's swinging the axe on solar power schemes. Yet again, his rhetoric simply doesn't meet the reality and homeowners are paying the price for his failing policies. And that was by David Bowl. The Herald on the 15th of August in the news section. Unemployment Scotland. Jobless numbers up by 24,000 over three months by Jody Harrison. Scotland's unemployment rate has jumped to 4% as new figures showed a rise in the number of people out of work. Data from the Office of National Statistics, ONS, showed 109,000 people aged 16 and over were out of work over the period April to June, up by 24,000 in the first three months of the year. There were 2,652,000 Scots in work, down by 31,000 on the January to March figures. Scotland's employment rate now stands at 74.2%, lower than the corresponding rate of 75.7% for the UK as a whole. While Tuesday's data showed a rise of 0.9 percentage points in the unemployment rate in Scotland compared with the previous quarter, the proportion of people who are out of work was lower than the national UK figure. Across the UK as a whole, the unemployment rate stood at 4.2%, with was also the figure for England. In Wales, the unemployment rate was 4.8% and 2.7% in Northern Ireland. Neil Gray, the Wellbeing Economy Secretary for the Scottish Government, said the rise in the jobless rate reflects the challenges facing the economy amid the ongoing cost of living crisis, compounded by still high inflation and interest rates. He added the Scottish Government is committed to supporting more people into work, including those with a disability, health conditions and caring responsibilities through employability and skill support, as well as improved access to flexible working. The Government's New Deal for Business Group has a focus on helping people who face barriers to work, while the Fair Work Action Plan's aims to support more diverse and inclusive workspaces, Mr Gray said. He added that industries, including hospitality and agriculture, were still facing recruitment challenges, and as a result, an urgent reassessment of UK government immigration policy is necessary to increase access to international labour and the skills that Scotland needs for our economy and communities to prosper. Mr Gray said, with full powers over migration, Scotland could boost its workforce and tackle recruitment challenges, many of uh, many which have been caused by the end of free movement and the Brexit imposed on Scotland by the UK government. UK Employment Minister Guy Opperman, speaking during a visit to Scotland, said the jobs market was resilient. Mr Opperman said, As I've seen in Aberdeen and Shetland this week, the Scottish jobs market remains resilient with payroll employment levels at a record high. The UK government is committed to helping people move into work and upskill in every corner of the UK. That's why a fortnight ago we announced a new carbon capture facility in Aberdeenshire, placing Scottish jobs and businesses at the centre of our green energy goals and plans to grow the economy. And that was by Jody Harrison. That concludes this week's edition of the Herald Scotland podcast. Please remember to subscribe to our channels at Herald Review 
tell your friends about our service.